weeks ago, we started a new series. The series has been entitled Benchmark of Faith, which means that there are aspects of our faith, aspects of our growing in the Lord that we are aiming for. Benchmark is something that we're shooting for, something that we're striving to attain. And today I want to talk to you about the benchmark of faith of sacrifice. Sacrifice. There was a story that I told probably four or five years ago. I believe it was at a missions convention a time that we had. And this story is a true story that came from a book called From a Beggar to a Banqueting Table. And it tells the story of an early missionary effort by the man by the name of Thomas. That's all we know is his name was Thomas in the early 1800s. He was serving in an area of China right near the river that separates China from Korea. And every morning he would have his prayer time by the river. And he was reading the Bible and praying, and as he would do so, he would look across the river, and the Lord began to put a burden in his heart at that particular time that he needed to take the Word of God across the river and to share it with those of Korea who he could see on the other side. After several days of praying and feeling that this really was what the Lord wanted him to do, he began to inquire in the town whether there was anybody that would have a boat that he would be willing to borrow to row across to the other side. And... After searching for several days, they came across an individual who said, yes, I will let you use my boat to row to the other side. As he prepared himself for what he might say, as he got there, the day arrived, and as he began to row out into the river, he could begin to see that where he was planning to land his boat on the other side, there was a crowd that was beginning to gather, and as he saw them, his heart began to grow in anticipation for the opportunity, and he began to think to himself how wonderful it is that there's already a crowd gathering that I'm going to be able to share with what God has laid upon my heart. And as he got to the middle of the river and he could begin to make out the sounds that they were saying, he suddenly began to realize that this was not a welcoming crowd, but that this was an angry mob. And they begin to yell at him that if you come ashore with that Bible, we will kill you. And sitting in that boat, he had a decision to make. He knew that God had wanted him to go, and he knew that God had provided him an aspect and a way to go so that he could share the Word of God with the Koreans. And as he looked at the people on the other side, he could hear them shouting, and in that moment, he had a decision to make. Will I do what I feel the Lord wants me to do, or will I stop and go back because I want to share the Word, but I don't want to die? In that moment, he felt the prompting of the Spirit to continue to row, and he did so with great courage. And as his boat landed on the other side, he stood up, and as he held up the Bible to begin to speak what he felt the Lord wanted him to say, instantly he was grabbed, his hands were bound behind behind him, and he was taken to a little uh, meadow near a village that was nearby and had a hasty trial where he was sentenced to die for bringing a Bible to Korea. As he was being shoved along in the meadow, he was still clutching the Bible behind him, even though his hands were bound. And as there was a log that was laying in the middle, they shoved him to it. And as they did so, the Bible fell out of his hands right near that log. And they laid his body over that log. And the executioner walked out and raised the axe in the air. And he was saying, but Lord, I never had a chance to speak what you wanted me to say. And the executioner severed Thomas's head. And the story says that his head rolled over near the Bible that he had just dropped. And the people that were there began to celebrate and cheer that justice had been done and begin to wander off to their various places where they'd come from. But the executioner 
stood there for a moment. And as he looked at the head that he had just severed laying near the book that was on the ground, he began to wonder in his mind, what is in this book that this man was willing to come here and die to bring us? And the executioner walked over, and when no one was looking, picked up the Bible, and he slid it on the inside of his robe, and he took it back with him to his hut. And each evening in candlelight, he would begin to read what was in this book that was brought to him. And privately, he began to feel a conviction in his spirit, and on one of those evenings when he was reading, he was overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ and the privacy of his own place. You see, it was as a result of Thomas's willing to sacrifice whatever it took that this executioner became not only a convert but became the first evangelist to the people of Korea and went around and there were revival that broke out as he told the story as I am the man that killed the man that brought the Bible but I am also the man that brings the message of what the Word of God says. And I recall that story even now, years after having read it for the first time and was reminded when my mom and dad were missionaries in Germany that they had had a chance to go to South Korea and they stood in the public square and dad said, you don't know what it was like for us to stand with a million South Koreans praising the name of Jesus and having Pentecostal power begin to flow. And he says, we think back because of the sacrifice of others that we are able to do what we do. And John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, and while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. And I have discovered that we oftentimes think of that kind of a sacrifice as the stuff of missionary biographies, but I want you to know that the Word of God is just as true to us in contemporary Christianity in America today as it has ever been. Through this series, we have been pouring a biblical and theological foundation for what our lives should look like as we are actively growing and pursuing the heart of Jesus Christ is his followers. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I understand that rediscovering a spirit of sacrifice in our spiritual journey is, is not the most popular topic in our culture today because our culture knows little about self-sacrifice. And at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about why we are to sacrifice and he, he speaks of it as something that's not casual, it is not trivial, nor is it optional. And if you have your Bibles, turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'd like to read that as a text. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Heavenly Father, over these next few moments, I ask that you would deliver to us the fresh bread of the Word that would not only nourish our soul, but instruct us, and then lead us in obedience to understand that a growing Christian is a sacrificing Christian. 
that we will do whatever it takes to respond in honor to everything you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that may recently have had to go car shopping, you probably have discovered that when you get there, there are a vast number of options for you to choose from. They start out with the basic standard package, which means that you get a car that has a key that you can start. It may have electric windows, but there's nothing else luxurious about it. It won't heat your seats. It won't have power this or that, but you know what? It's the standard option. It's just good enough to get you from where you want to go. And then they come in and say, but if you'll upgrade just a little bit. Looking at the guys, I say, we got this sporty package. Engine's a little bit bigger. You can go a little faster. May have a spoiler in the back. And the wheels, oh, they're not normal wheels. These are sporty wheels. And I actually think, how many times have I stopped and looked at wheels? But it sounds so good when they're talking about the packages. And then, just about the time they have you salivating about a sporting package, they look at the wife and say, hey, we also have a luxury package. This car will drive itself while you're putting your makeup on. <laughs> you slap that mirror down, this thing will park for you. As you're driving along, if you get clo too close to the center line, it'll pull you back too close to the outer line, and they got this beep. That is the most annoying beep. It's one of those beautiful packages that sounds really good when it's on TV and really annoying when you're actually living it, so you turn it off. And I thought oftentimes, here we are as Christian people, and, and without even realizing it, we have fallen into believing that these same choice packages are available to us in a Christian life. There are so many people that just want the basic Christian life package, and we call it hell insurance. Said, so, you know what, I just want to, boy, I raised my eyes one day when pastor was looking around, I raised my eyes. I didn't come forward and I didn't pray anything, but... I got hell insurance. I got the basic package of Christianity where I've acknowledged that I need a Savior. Because really all I need is just something that's just going to get, just by the skin of my teeth, I just want to make it to heaven. And then we as Pentecostals also talk about the power package. Boy, when the power of the Holy Spirit falls upon you, we got a power package for you. The wheels look good on this baby. I mean, we walk around and in the name of Jesus and and so we believe that there are packages for us to choose from. And then we also believe, well, then if you really want to be dedicated, we have the missionary model. The missionary model is a really, it's a self-sacrificing model where you will do anything for the cause of Christ. But I want you to understand that as we look at the benchmarks of our faith, that these are classifications and categories that we have created, not the word. The approach of Romans chapter 12 and the opening verses of the chapter are not a call for some Christians to embrace an optional, more advanced level of Christian living, but a summons to all Christians to fulfill our basic obligations in being followers of Jesus Christ. Not everybody is called to be a missionary, but we are all called to live a sacrificial life before the Savior. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple. Now you'll notice it didn't say whoever wants to be a missionary or whoever wants to be a pastor. It said whoever wants to be a follower. That includes all of us. Whoever wants to be a follower must 
deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. And the whole development of Paul's argument in Romans affirms this because between chapters 1 and 8, he lays down the basic doctrines of the Christian life. And then following a parenthetical statement that runs three chapters long, he addresses in chapter 12 the moral imperatives that are basic to us as Christ followers. Something that should be in every one of our lives as we pursue Christ. And from deep in his heart, he's imploring his readers to discover all of the blessings of a life that is lived in consecration to God. And he does not employ the approach of what we are doing for him, but he approaches it from the perspective of we will do this because of what he has done for us. Now, in the Old Testament, there were primarily two kinds of sacrifices how many of you have been doing the bible reading through february and you have just completed leviticus wasn't that wonderful if you've been doing that with us then you have just spent 30 days understanding the different kind of sacrifices for everything that you ever wondered and more And they would talk about all of these things, the sacrifices being two kinds primarily, the propitiation sacrifice, which was for the putting away of sins, and then the dedicatory sacrifices in response to the thanksgiving and and faithfulness that God has provided and forgiveness. We live in a day and age today where we just celebrated Holy Communion together, which we understood we were celebrating the propitiatory nature of God. In other words, he took my place. He died in my place. He became the scapegoat for my sin. And in doing so, I never have to offer my life as a sacrifice for my own sin. However, there is a nature of being dedicated to the Lord that we daily will offer ourselves before him as we dedicate ourselves to him. And as we make this application every day, The circumstances of our lives may look different, but I want you to know there is a nature that we are striving for, that when people see us and see us following Christ, that they will understand that our lives are not our own. He is not just our Savior. He is our Lord. He's our guide, our director, and he deserves to be honored as such. Reverend Eric Alexander expounded on this passage, and the words that he uses are the words that I use as an outline very quickly for the next three points. If you have a bulletin, you can jot down some notes there, and that is a living sacrifice, a lasting sacrifice, and a logical sacrifice. A living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That little word living is a pretty important word there for us. Because what he is saying is, I am urging every believer in Jesus Christ to choose. I'm urging you to choose. And here's what he is urging us to choose. I am urging you to choose every day of your life to offer yourself before the Lord as a living sacrifice, giving up the the ability or the desire to guide your own life, laying it on the altar saying, not my will, but thy will be done in my life, God. Notice that he doesn't ask that we offer our souls or our spirits, but he says, offer your bodies. Now, for those of you that have just gone through Leviticus, you'll notice that they were often talking about, especially as it related to sin offerings, that you were to take a one-year-old lamb that had to be perfect. There could be no blemishes. 
There could be nothing on it that would indicate that it was not well in any way. And then the family would come and lay their hands on it. In other words, I am dispensing all of my evil and all of my wrong onto this lamb. And then the priest would cut the lamb's throat, gather its, its, its blood in a, in, a, in a bowl, and begin to sprinkle the blood on the altar. As I was thinking about that, especially since the previous month we, we learned about all the priestly robes, it must have looked like a butcher's market around the place where they were offering the sacrifice. The Lord had said so much about how the the robes were to be made of fine linen and, and the right colors and pure, but I would imagine after continually sacrificing these lambs, they had to look a mess because that's what sin does is it causes a mess. And as we looked at that, we began to recognize that only those that were perfect could be offered and then I look and I see in Scripture it says that we are to offer our bodies. Now, I, I don't mean, mean to be mean to you in any way here, but as I look around, there are none of us that are perfect. In fact, we're wrinkled, we're diseased, we're overweight, nearsighted, going deaf. And yet it's in all of our imperfections that the Lord says, I need you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice because we're not sacrificing ourselves for our sin. We're sacrificing ourselves in thanksgiving that our sin has already been paid for. And there are so many people that say, you know, I fear I don't measure up. But there's nothing within our lives that we cannot do to offer ourselves as a thanksgiving offering to the one who saved my soul. It's not about how your body looks. It's about how your body behaves. It's not about the beauty of our bodies, but making Christ beautiful through the way that we act. We collectively and individually are the body of Christ. And a sacrifice is a commitment. A living sacrifice is a lifestyle that is devoted and committed to God. And I recognize this is not the most popular message in our culture today that declares that I am the one that's the most important. And we as followers of Christ, aiming for the benchmark of faith of what should my life look like, regularly says I am not as important as Jesus Christ is. He must be seen in my life. Eugene Peterson in the message writes this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. He's not asking you to crawl up on an altar and die. He's asking you to jump off the altar and live for him. Take your life and give it to him so that you might live. So honestly, to each of us, it doesn't matter whether you spend your days in a hospital or in a classroom or a laboratory or at home or in an office. Discipleship is evident within our lifestyle when we are completely yielded to Jesus every step of the way. We need to make a wholehearted, unequivocal, irrevocable commitment to Christ and his kingdom on a daily basis because that is our reasonable sacrifice so we've all been called into a life of service so Paul says I want you to choose I want you to choose because when you do so the church becomes a testimony to what God can do so there's a living sacrifice and then he moves on to a lasting sacrifice this commitment is not a single experience in fact it's an ongoing process it's long obedience in the same direction. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 and 16, the scripture says this. Through Jesus, 
Therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. In other words, God is pleased in the behavior that we have that honors him continually sacrificing and praising his name. So this is where the test of endurance comes in. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached a, a message on the title of being spiritually fit in a flabby generation. By the way, that, that generated some really interesting comments through the, the last couple of weeks. But one of the aspects of our spiritual life that we must continually work to improve is spiritual endurance. Doing the right thing. Doing it the right way. Doing it for the right reasons every single day. And having the endurance to do it. Now, that's a challenge for this generation. Because this generation is not renowned for finishing things well. I started something back in college that right now I wish I hadn't, and that is whenever I buy a new book and I start to read the first chapter, I generally write down a date on the front cover of this is the date that I started this book. I cannot tell you how many, how many books I have that the first three chapters were fantastic. I've got a date written where I've started it, but for some reason I never got around to actually finishing the book. So there's a lot of stories that I only know half of that I'm still waiting to finish. And before you laugh at me too hard, some of you have started projects in your home. <laughs> Whatever the Saturday was, you thought, you know what, I'm going to get started on this, and man, by the end of the week, we are going to have this brand new thing, and it has been months. And there's this unfinished project that you fully intended to get started. Before your kids laugh at you about that, they're not so hot at finishing their vegetables. And I'm not even talking yet about their homework. And sadly, we are finding great difficulty in our generation in seeing our marriage vows through to the end. Consequently, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we appear to not be very good prospects at finishing a course because it indicates to us that some of us can be diverted from the path of faith when we encounter only slight difficulties. And we are warned of this in Matthew chapter 24, in verses 12 and 13, and look at this closely. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, the love of most, not the love of a few, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Let me tell you why I shudder when I read this. Because I recognize that there is coming a day when I will have to stand before God. And the greatest thing in all of my life, not only when he reads my name out of the Lamb's Book of Life, but to look around and see that every person that is in this room is there with me. My greatest fear is that I would someday stand before him and recognize that what I preached did not build a fiber of faith within you that would let you last. That somehow was a message that just made you feel good and made you feel as if there were classifications and you just wanted the basic model but you never committed. 
And so to this American church and this American generation, I need you to understand there is a day coming that will test your faith and most of you, the scripture says, will not pass that test. And I do not want it to be said of those that have sat within this church that we do not have what it takes to finish the course, but that we would sacrifice what we need to do it the right way. It is sad to think that those who start well will not finish or will not stay on course. We have as an example, in, in direct contrast, the record of Moses who at 40 years of age is recorded his great refusal in the scripture. His decision was, I will not be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. With all of the accompanying status or with all of the form of bravado that comes with it, he marked himself as a pioneer revolutionary, as a pilgrim identified with the people of God and said, it doesn't matter what they offer, I will follow my God. And in Hebrews eleven twenty six, 26, it said, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value. In every one of our lives, there are going to come a moment when we are going to have to determine the value of our discipleship, the value of our relationship. And like Moses, I hope that for the sake of Christ, we will count it as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because we are looking ahead to our reward that is coming when we finish the race. So Moses chose social depravity over social honor, material loss over material gain, physical desolation over physical satisfaction, the unseen over the seen, and the eternal over the immediate. But once he had focused on the treasures of heaven, that determined his options on earth. I am praying that as we come to understand and our pursuit of the Lord and a lifestyle that honors him, that once we have made the determination, there is nothing on this earth worthy of holding me back from reaching heaven's reward. That having made that decision, we will then follow through and live it. And lastly, a logical sacrifice. The word in Romans 12:1 used to describe our sacrificial service comes from the Greek word logikos, which we draw our word logical from. It conveys to us that there is a reasonable, logical, intellectual response that we are to have to God once we have made him our Savior. Yes, we ask him to forgive us our sins and come into our life and take up residence. And from that moment on, there is a logical way that we are then to live, a lifestyle that is thankful will always enlist our mind and our reason and our intellect. And this living and lasting and logical sacrifice is nothing other than to present our bodies in a practical, observable, measurable way so that when people observe us, what they see in us is the living Holy Spirit at work through you. So how does that look? What does that look like in this world? There's an old Sunday school song that for those of you that grew up in the church, you might recognize this. I think it breaks it down great for us when it says, Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go, for your Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little feet, where you go. And then it goes on, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you hold. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For your Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, be careful, be careful how you live. 
That song stopped just a little bit short, however, of bringing us to an understanding that the Father is not just watching from up above. He is living through His Holy Spirit within us. So rather than feeling as if we have been given a task that is impossible, we begin to tap into the fact that the indwelling living Christ says that you become a temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within you. As a result of his strength within you, he then motivates us to live in such a way that our life bring glory to him. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Therefore, Paul says to us, There is a way that we live that is different from those that don't know Jesus Christ. It's not that we see how close we can live and how much we can get away with, but how closely I can look like my Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. When we allow God's love to capture our hearts with this truth, our feet will walk in His paths. Our lips will speak truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift and restore the fallen. Our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. And never forget what the Lord said in John 13, 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. As Kim comes, I want to end with this and I want you to listen very closely because this is a clarifying statement to me the blessings of heaven is not promised to those who hear the word the blessings of heaven are not promised to those who discuss the word or those who love the word or those who memorize it or quote it the blessings of heaven are not even given to preachers who preach the word or distribute it or dissect it, even though each of these carries a certain joy. Mostly, listen, mostly the blessings of heaven are given to those who do the word. So many times we hear things that we never put into practice. Or we hear things and think so-and-so needs to apply this. Or we hear things and hope other people in our family will do them. And the Lord says, I'm holding you accountable. Today, you are a living sacrifice. And as you aim for the benchmark of faith, let us resemble more and more our great God and King. Today, I'm going to conclude this service by installing our new deacons and elders. I think this is inappropriate for us today because these individuals are stepping into a life of service to me and to you. I'm going to be calling the name of our deacons and trustees, understanding that I've already gotten a call today from Tom Ward and Chris Salvage, and they are not well and are not able to be here today. But when I call your names, would you come and stand in front of me and face me, Mike and Gloria Morano, Chris and Lindsay Salvage. Tom and Sue Ward, Ron Hill, Ron and Debbie Kenyon, and Heather and Paul Sylvia. These individuals have been selected from among you, and at a vote of our membership, you have asked them if they would serve before you as deacons, trustees of this body of believers. Much of their time is dealing with the business aspect of what we do as a church, the decisions that we have to make. 
The giftings that God has given to them are on full display, and I'm grateful, grateful for the men and women that God has given to us. But you also approved some names that I presented before you as my selections of those who I would like to serve as elders in our church, those that will help me giving spiritual care. And I'm asking also if Larry and Sharon Frank would come, John and Faye Wynn, Dennis and Karen Wood, Ron and Debbie Kenyon and Ron Hill are already up here, and Fabi Palma. I was reminded this morning that I didn't do this last year, so Morano's never felt like they really got installed. So we're giving you a double portion today. If Chris were here today, I would say to Chris, to Heather, and to Mike, this morning you were brought before this congregation to have hands placed on you, setting you into the ministry of being deacons of this local church. You've been chosen to serve in this capacity because it is apparent that God has given you a special gift, and that is the gift of being spiritual examples. The Lord now wants you to dedicate this gift to Him and to consecrate yourselves to the ministry of deacon, serving and inspiring others to live His Word effectively. Always have before you how great of a ministry has been committed to your charge, for through it, you are spiritual influences and influencers to our community and to our church. So to our deacons, as you stand here before me today in front of this congregation, please know that you have our love and support and our prayer, and you're going to need it. Your selection has come because others have seen within you a spiritual example that they are willing to follow, and they trust you, and for that I am grateful. And to the elders of our church, you are here by my selection because I have seen within you and recognized that some of you have had lives of outstanding ministry and faithfulness for years. You know what it is to live a sacrificial life. And in our growing congregation, it was getting more and more difficult for me and our pastoral staff to keep up with those that were in the hospital and those that needed counseling and those that were shut-ins. And you have said that you would walk alongside of us giving pastoral care to this body of believers. And if you are willing to stand alongside of me and to serve these people as the same, with the same heart that I have in our pastoral staff, if you're willing to fulfill this ministry to this church, family of Grace Assembly, will you respond, I will. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me, please, and I'm going to ask our pastoral staff if they would come forward. I'm going to ask that they would anoint you with oil as we pray a prayer of dedication over our deacon trustees and our elders. They've already been through this once, so some of them have oil spots on their forehead from the first service. They're going to be well anointed by the end of this day. Would you stretch forth your hands as we pray for them? Father God, your church is so special that you said, I will create it by the death of my son. I will send him as a sacrifice that would die in your place. And then I provide the Holy Spirit 
to be the sustaining power that is needed. And so, Lord, as we anoint each of these individuals with oil, we recognize that it shadows them. It is the covering representing the Holy Spirit's work within them and through them. And I pray your blessing upon them. Both our deacons and trustees who are tasked with the building and the grounds and the ministry of, of Grace Assembly. And, Father, as we face the prospect of leaving this building and going to a new church, I ask that you would unlock all of the business wisdom and all of the compassion and all of the great ideas that are necessary for us in this journey. For, Lord Jesus, they've been selected from among our brethren. And I thank you for their gifts and their willingness to sacrifice and live a sacrificial life before you. And for these who will stand alongside of me as my elders, O oh God, being my hands extended so that we can reach out and touch more personally those who feel that they've been overlooked or have slipped through the cracks of life, God, may we be observant and understand the necessity and value of every person within our church, whether they are here or shut in or in the hospital. God, may we care well for those that you have entrusted to us. And I ask your blessing to be upon them your strength to be evident, and your wisdom to be spoken through them. Thank you, Lord, that each of these people sustain me in prayer and stand alongside of Cindy and I in our life and in our marriage as we work together for the cause of the kingdom of God. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. While they are up here today, Maybe you are here today and you say, you know, I have just heard a message on what it means to be a growing Christian, but I've never yet taken that first step. I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I know who He is and I've heard some of the word about Him, but I didn't know that He was the one that was the sacrifice for my sin. And having known that today, I would like to talk to somebody about what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I invite you to come and to speak to anybody that is at this altar this morning. We would love to introduce you to Jesus.